0: Listeners, and welcome to our podcast, Bail and Mass Incarceration, The Basics. I'm your host, Jack, along with Deja, Derek, Erica, and Jennifer. How far does the scope of money bail reach? How would we know if the system is fair or not? In today's episode, we'll be brushing up on the basics of how the cash bail system works and the primary functions it serves, as well as discussing the individual burdens those impacted by bail have to carry. Now this brings us to the main question we'll be answering throughout these episodes. To what extent does the cash bail system target those in poverty in Washington state prisons?
1: To start, we have to look at what cash bail is and how the system works.
0: How Cash Bail Works by Adore Onyekwer is the first source discussed in this episode. Onyekwer is currently the program associate in Vera's Reshaping Prosecution Program. Prior to working at this program, Onyekwer was a senior research and program associate at the Brennan Center for Justice. This source is a current article as it was published in 2019. The article provides an introduction to the ins and outs of cash bail and will form a better understanding of the system. It shows the inconsistencies of the cash bail system throughout the United States court system and how it negatively affects those in the lower income bracket.
2: The cash bail system clearly affects the poor more than others because it requires the defendant to have money in order to post it. If the defendant cannot post bail, they are forced to wait in jail until their trial, and judges have full discretion over how much a defendant's bail is and can even waive it. The amounts that they set bail at are not consistent across the board. Those who cannot post bail have a significant disadvantage in their trial because of the psychological and physiological effects that jail can have on a person. It can be crushing to have to wait in a jail until the trial date, and not only that, but a person who is held in jail until their trial is four times more likely to be found guilty than those who are able to post bail. They are also more likely to plead guilty to a lesser charge in order to spend less time imprisoned. Cash bail punishes those who cannot afford to pay it, which means that punishment is directly paralleled to a person's wealth. And until cash bail is reformed, poor people will continue to face the consequences of this unfair system. And until this system is reformed, cash bail can certainly be used discriminatorily against those who can't afford it. Money should never be able to change the outcome of a criminal case because that isn't justice based on whether or not the person did it, that's justice based on whether or not the person can afford it. When there are so many negative impacts of not being able to pay bail, it is almost impossible to claim that a person's wealth doesn't change the outcome of their time in the system. The stress, the desperation, all of this is punitive, yet that's not how the courts define it. Bail is supposed to be set by taking into consideration the likelihood of the defendant either skipping out on trial dates or committing another crime while out on bail, but there is so much more at play here. The major emotional and financial punishments that the poor have to shoulder after a run-in with the courts is much, much higher than their well-off counterparts. In order for cash bail to serve its intended purpose, there needs to be standards and protection for these defendants.
1: With all that said, we can dive a bit deeper into the inconsistencies within the bail system and what roots those inconsistencies have.
3: So this next source is called You've Been Arrested, Will You Get Bail? Can You Pay It? It May All Depend on Your Judge. This was written by senior reporter Anna Maria Berry-Jester at Kaiser Health. Her article, which was published June 19, 2018, was cited by Journal of Science Policy and Governance. What she talks about in her article is the amount of bail you owe or whether you owe bail at all can depend on the time you were arrested and who hears the case the day you are arraigned. Defendants who are unable to afford the set bail amount are forced to remain in jail, which in turn can affect relationships, housing, and employment in the New York State Unified Court system. The reason for this is judges don't treat bail the same way, and for the most part, judges hear cases based on when people are arrested and how busy the court is that day, and looking at the simplified way of how bail is set shows how after an arrest within the 24 hours and once their arraignment is set. In this example, it shows four different options of bail when someone pleads not guilty. The one who chooses between the four is, the four options is the judge. The source also talks about and provides a table that shows data of the patterns that different judges make regarding bail.
1: When setting a bail amount for the defendant, the judge should take into consideration the person's financial situation and the nature of the crime that they are being charged with. For example, a petty nonviolent crime, the defendant should be given an ROR, released on your own recognizance, meaning they are given a future court date and released without a bail amount. According to one study done by the Legal Aid Society, holding people before trial costs taxpayers roughly $13.6 billion per year. However, this is often not the case with many people being stuck in jail while awaiting trial. And in many other cases, bail is not posted at all and the defendant is sent to jail without a way out to await their trial. An excellent example of bail being posted and yet being entirely unable to be paid is in New York, where in 2016, just 15% of bails were paid at arraignment for cases that were not a felony. For felony cases, it was even lower at 8.8%. Finally, even though there are different suggestions for reforms, many of these do not apply to anyone but first-time offenders and people with misdemeanors. All of this points towards a system in which bail is arbitrary and many cannot pay even if they want to. Now we will discuss the individual burdens that those who fall into criminal justice debt have to endure and what determines the overall cost of bail.
0: The final source we will be discussing is Nickel and Dimed into Incarceration, Cash Register Justice in the Criminal System by Laura Appelman. This source is ranked in the top 25 for scholarly publications. It discusses the burden of the funds for the system falls on the system's users or those jailed and or entering criminal proceedings. The money bail system is a booming revenue source for courts and corrections.
2: So we can see from this that the average offender is loaded up with fees for every single encounter that they have with the justice system. These fees disproportionately affect those with low income because they end up not being able to pay or going into large amounts of debts just to avoid jail. The fees given by the courts often outweigh the formal sanctions and are often widely variable. This means that the fees and the fines paid by the defendants depend on the costs that the courts deem reasonable, which leads to inconsistencies throughout the system. And these costs are often to fund the system itself. You are charged to use the system, but it's not at a set cost. This means that the non-punitive actions like cash bail can have a greater negative impact than the actual punishment that is decided by a jury. When there aren't many checks and balances being imposed on these judges, who's to say that they aren't using the system unfairly or that they aren't fiscally motivated to raise bail amounts? We can see the patterns here. We can see the abuse by judges or the simple inconsistencies between them. Leaving something as serious and consequential to a person's life, such as bail, up to the discretion of one person certainly leaves room for mistakes and gives unchecked power to these judges. Of course, there is a cost to using most government functions like the criminal justice system But when that cost is dependent on so many indescribable factors, how could it possibly be considered fair? The criminal justice debt is growing more and more minute by minute and many will never be able to pay it and they will simply become another person swallowed by debts and fees for the rest of their lives. A $10,000 bail amount is much more of a burden to bear for someone who makes twelve grand a year working minimum wage than it is for someone who is considered middle class and above, yet this isn't taken into consideration when setting cash bail amounts. The cash bail system directly punishes people for not having money. The
1: bail system widely varies in its practice across the courts, and this variation allows for steep fines to be levied upon those who cannot pay it. Because the bail system funds the courts, there is an obvious financial motive for these fees, and they disproportionately affect those in poverty. We can see the burden of money bail is often too high for the majority of pre-trial detainees, and the system often forces those with little income to endure not only monetary punishment, but jail time as well. The scope of the impact on the average offender goes far beyond the financial cost. As per the Sixth Amendment, the jury is supposed to have the responsibility of doling out and determining punishment, and yet they do not have any say in the bail amounts a judge does. And let's face it, after looking into how judges determine bail amounts, they are not the most consistent or ethical of decision makers in many circumstances. Your punishment for the same crime as someone else could have a much higher price tag simply because you came in on a Wednesday and not Thursday. The cash bail system has a high range of inconsistencies on all levels. There are difficulties from state to state, county to county, and even judge to judge. Therefore we cannot trust that the system is merely being used to assure that offenders do not skip out on the court dates and we must question the motives of the courts themselves, especially when these courts keep inflating the administrative costs and are essentially using these fees to fund themselves. It very much so seems like a conflict of interest. When there are so many differences throughout the system, how can we say that it is just and fair?